0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited about the reach of this podcast to other places in the world. 1% of our listeners live in Malaysia, another 1% in Taiwan, one half of 1% in Mexico, and in total, 10% of our listeners are now. International. And I hope today, wherever you are, you gain some inspiration from this podcast and you can open your eyes a bit more to how to think and live better. And if you hear something today that helps you, please share the link to this podcast with a friend. It may just say to them, I was thinking about you and hope this helps you as well. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about developing the skill of being inspirable. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I wander into the grocery store to shop nowadays, I'm shocked at the price of food. The cost of margarine is up 44% compared to a year ago. Flour is up 34%. Macaroni up 32%. And in no place is inflation more evident than in the price of eggs. Egg prices are up 138%. And the price of eggs affects every restaurant and many other foods that use eggs, such as breads, battered fried foods, cakes, salad dressings, ice cream, macaroni, and a host of other food prices have gone up because of the increased price of eggs. But a close look into the reasons why egg prices are so high can give us a significantly better understanding of how we, in large part, caused the inflation. Ourselves. Now, some people are aware we've been enduring an unprecedented health disaster in North America for the last year. It has cost the lives of 53 million animals, birds, like turkeys and chickens. The culprit? A highly pathogenic avian influenza has ravaged chicken and turkey yards since last February when chicken and egg farmers in North America first reported it in their commercial flocks. Now, some birds have died from the disease itself, but the vast majority are being killed by their owners in an attempt to stop the virus from spreading. And that includes millions of hens that had been raised to provide eggs. In Iowa, two massive egg operations had to kill more than 5 million birds. How did this outbreak happen? Wild birds. The wild birds enter the farm areas and spread the virus. Now, the risk of our catching avian flu when we eat infected birds or eggs is extremely low. So, why kill the birds? Well, the avian flu will kill birds within 48 hours of their contracting the disease. So, in order to have a healthy flock, farm owners must kill the birds, disinfect the pens, and start a new flock from scratch. And this takes time. All the while, you are paying more for eggs because there's a shortage of hens that lay eggs. But in many farms now, the flocks have returned to normal, and the avian flu seems under control. But egg prices remain high. Why? Well, there are other reasons, long-lasting reasons, egg prices will remain high for some time. And you are to blame. First, there's been a public outcry for chickens who produce eggs to be free-range or cage-free. For years, hens that lay eggs have been kept in cages. And the amount of feed used for free-range hens is higher than caged hens because free-range hens burn more calories. And if you lose more hens under free-range conditions and hens are more susceptible to the avian flu in those same conditions, well, you pay more. And as a result, you're paying 2 to $3 more per dozen for supposed improved chicken welfare. And higher egg prices mean higher prices for ice cream, salad dressing, and a host of other foods as well. And if that were the entire story, it would be understandable. But let's keep going. In addition, the public is demanding organic eggs. You see, typical chicken feed is from soybeans and canola meal and corn, wheat, and other sources of nutrition. And in most places, organic means the feed contains no hormones, meat, manure, or urea. And ironically, most feed was already organic according to this definition. But with the public outcry for organic, it gave farmers the opportunity to raise prices, and they did, and you pay more. And organic can also mean that the feed was grown without pesticides, or at least certain pesticides. And this costs more, and you pay for it. Now, in many states like Oregon, they've banned the use of Styrofoam for egg packaging. And eggs packed in Styrofoam are better protected. The cartons can be stacked higher, and shipping is less expensive. And Styrofoam itself is cheaper. And there are a host of other reasons egg prices are high. You want a large egg, not a jumbo egg or a small egg, so farmers and breeders throw out many eggs that aren't the right size. This costs money. In the U.S., we want eggs cleaned and washed. This may even be bad for the egg, but we want washed eggs, and we pay for it. We want fresh eggs, and in the U.S., most eggs arrive at your store within two to three days of being hatched. It doesn't help the nutrition content. In fact, it's easier to cook with older eggs because the egg white spreads and mixes better, but we pay for processes to expedite eggs. This is why egg inflation exists. It's you. It costs money to make cage-free, organic, large, fresh, washed eggs packed in cardboard instead of styrofoam, and most of these changes to eggs have happened in the last three to five years. So you can see why there is inflation with egg prices. And the same goes for inflation in cars or computers and a host of other things. Computer chips are in short supply because you want to take more photos, store them in the cloud, use a 5G phone, drive an electric car, and a host of other things. We are embedding sensors and manufacturing equipment, automated systems, toys, buildings, smart homes, solar, and the list goes on and on. And every third world country is full of people who've never had use of computing capacity, and they're trying to catch up with the rest of the world. And all of this means we're using several times the computing power we did than just five years ago. So here's the point. In our economy, many things are inflationary. Now, the definition of inflation is the condition of being inflated. And if you look closer at the root word of inflate, it has two parts, N, meaning inside or inner, and bleh, to blow or blaze. In one variant of the word, it means to inspire or to ignite from the inside out. In other words, when applied to us personally, inflate means it inflames from the inside out. Now, I've known people who are self-inflaming or self-igniting, meaning they seek for and find inspiration in life all the time. And it seems for these inflationary people that they're self-lit. They live inspired. They seem to have ongoing sources of inspiration. What about you? Are you inspirable? Because you and I both know people that aren't inspirable. They're not receptive to input. And it makes them less trainable and relatable. And they're not apt to be influenced by others. And then there's those who live at a whole different level. They listen, they're apt to change, and let the world inspire them. And being inspirable is a skill, and a very valuable skill that can change the trajectory of our life. So let me ask you, have you ever worked at being inspirable? Because it is a skill. You know, in the scripture, God tells us that he values people who not only have ears to hear, but actually hear and eyes to see who actually look and see. In fact, the scripture goes so far as to say, they have ears, but they don't listen. They have eyes, but they refuse to see. If their minds were not closed, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Conversely, Matthew 13 says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So here's my point. You are alive, on your team, in your family, going about your life. Around you are many things and people and ideas to see and learn that can be used for your growth. Yet, if you're like me, you only see and hear a fraction of what could inspire you. Why? Because you aren't looking. Your eyes aren't open. And you, me, we, are distracted. And if all of that is true, then how do we become inspirable and more apt to let things around us help us rise to become who we're supposed to become when i teach my business strategy class at the marriott school of business i'm amazed when the semester is over and these amazing kids who work so hard to get accepted into one of the premier business programs in the country react to my class in vastly different ways the last day of the class is usually the final exam and after the exam is done There's an opportunity for students to come up to me and quietly say goodbye or thank you. And I have students who will come up to me and tell me this was a life-changing class. They'll recite how they opened their eyes. And in many areas, they learned and are so grateful for what they learned. Others won't come up at all. They'll just leave without saying goodbye. And then there's always a few who leave a comment about how boring or uninteresting the class was. All the students sit through the same classes, the same discussion, the same experience. They all attend class for the same amount of time, but some leave enriched and others indifferent. And I wonder if this isn't an apt metaphor for you and me in life. Some of us soak up from life enriching moments and experiences, allowing it to cause us to catch fire a bit. And some of us go about living in, in different ways, unable or unwilling to open our eyes and grow. So what makes for enriching and inflating experiences in life? What can we do to let good things lift us more? Well, best-selling author Anthony Robbins said, one reason so few of us ever achieve what we truly want is that we never direct our focus. We never concentrate our power. In fact, I believe most people fail in life simply because they major in minor things. I think this is true. We can be so caught up in doing the unimportant that when the important comes along, we can't open our eyes and recognize that it's of extreme value. It is the distraction in life that keeps us from seeing the valuable all around us. You know, Stephen was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. He was Jewish, and as a young boy, didn't always embrace his heritage. But in the Boy Scouts, he earned his photography merit badge, and at age 13, he made a film titled Escape to Nowhere. Then in college, he made a 26-minute film called Amblin, and Universal Studios president Sidney Sheinberg hired Steven to become a director for the studio. There, Steven made segments for a television series and then directed a number of movies. But it was when Steven Spielberg directed a film called Jaws that he gained worldwide acclaim. Then hits like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, and E.T. would follow. But in the early 80s, he started to write a screenplay. It was the story of Peter Pan after he had grown up and lived in the real world. And he named the movie Hook and directed its production in 1991. The grown-up Peter Pan, now named Peter Banning, has married, had children, and is working as a lawyer in the real world. And he's forgotten his days in Neverland. One day, while visiting in-laws in London, his two children, Jack and Maggie, are kidnapped by Captain Hook. So Peter goes to Neverland to save his children. Peter spends several days there, trying to remember his happy thoughts. And when he finally does, the memories of the adventures he had as a young boy return to him. He gets inspired, inflated from the inside out, and he can then fly like he did as a young Peter Pan. He then goes on with eyes open to take on Captain Hook as the Peter Pan he has always been. Now, interestingly, the script was a reflection of Spielberg's troubled relationship with his own father, and what Steven was struggling with at the time as a father himself. Spielberg would later say, I think a lot of people today are losing their imagination because they're so self-involved with work and success and arriving at the next plateau that children and family almost become incidental. Well, Spielberg would ensure a famous line from the screenplay would stand out above all others in the movie. The line is first used when Peter is fighting Captain Hook. Hook says prepare to die. And Peter Pan replies, to die would be a great adventure. Well, Peter goes on to win his battle with Hook and returns home. There, as he reflects on who he is and what is important to him, Spielberg's famous line changes and it ends the movie. It says, to live, to live will be a great adventure. Is your life a great adventure? Do you see it that way? Are you like Peter, and when you think of life, you inflate or you're inspired to rise, to fly to new heights? I must admit that I don't always feel this way. I don't always see my life as an adventure. I'm busy and stressed and trying to keep up with the demands and responsibilities, and these things seem to take the adventure out of my life. But once in a while, I remember that you can have adventure in the everyday things of life. There's adventure in speaking to a coworker, in doing the next needed thing with excellence, in looking at your granddaughter with new eyes, in being grateful for a few minutes of peace and quiet in the car, to thank God for his goodness in your life, to see life with real eyes. That is when life is a great adventure. And just as Tony Robbins says, when we stop majoring in minor things, When we stop looking at the daily doings of life as the most important, and when we focus instead on what matters most, we get inspired and lead better, grow more, and discover more about life. But being inspirable is a skill, and it takes practice to let the right things in life capture your attention. And then when they do, we must be willing to act to try to have a bit of faith, not just to hear, but to do what we hear. This is when miracles happen. When my mother was 16, one Sunday in Sunday school class, her teacher taught the concept of love. And she invited all the youth in the class to go home and tell their parents that they loved them. Well, my mother listened, and she let the words of her teacher affect her. The concept of love and speaking love was something new to her. After the class ended, she waited for her classmates to leave, and then she said to her teacher, I can't do what you asked me to do. I can't tell my father I love him. You see, at the time, my grandfather was a mechanic on an army base. He wasn't really a religious person, and he was often rough, gruff, and mean, like you'd expect from an army mechanic. At the time, I love you wasn't something they said to each other in their family. Well, the teacher said, you'll have to do it. Your father, especially your father, needs to hear those words from you. He deserves your unconditional love. So mom went home. All week, the words of her teacher stayed with her. And finally, on Saturday night, knowing she'd be facing her teacher the next day, my mom found her courage. My grandfather just walked into the kitchen to put out a cigarette. and My mom got up her courage and blurted out the words, Dad, I have something to tell you. I love you. With those words, my grandfather turned around, his back was towards my mom, and he leaned against the fridge with his head bowed down. My mom thought he was angry. He just stood there, back turned and head down. Then my big burly grandfather turned around and he was crying. My mom hesitated, but then she stepped over to him and he wrapped his arms around her and said, I love you. As long as she could remember, this was the first time he had hugged her and he had said those words to her. It was then, with those words, my grandfather's heart began to soften. And years later, when I would visit my grandfather, the first thing he did was hug me and tell me he loved me. And when I knew him, he was a faithful churchgoer and had long since given up smoking. And I wonder what would have happened if my mother had not acted on the words of her Sunday school teacher. So how can you let life, what you read, what you hear, what you see, affect you to the point you act and try and take on a risk or two in life? Because it is those risks, those attempts that inspire us to grow. Ruth is a 40-year-old hiker who lives in Thornton, Colorado. And last year, she was on a trip to California and thought she'd take advantage of the weather to climb California's 8,800-foot Cucamonga Peak. The peak is one of the highest in the San Bernardino National Forest and a popular destination for serious hikers. The trail passes through north-facing slopes that keep the snow and ice almost year-round, so the hike can be technical at times. And Ruth had chosen Christmas Eve morning as her hiking day, so the snow was a bit more than normal. But she left early and made it to the Ice House saddle by 8.30 a.m. It was icy, She had forgotten her spikes for her boots, so she was using her hiking sticks and being careful along the way. Well, she summited the peak at 9.30 a.m. and started back down the trail. The snow was ankle deep, and she was concerned because beneath the snow could be ice, and on a descent, hidden ice can be fatal if you slip and fall in the wrong place. This thought was the last thing she remembers. Ruth slipped, hit her head and fell nearly 200 feet, careening down the mountain before slamming into a tree that broke her fall and saved her life. And without the tree, she would have fallen another 500 feet to her death. Incidentally, two days later, a hiker would slip in the exact same spot and fall to his death. In fact, search and rescue would respond to 14 calls for help in the same location over the Christmas holidays. Well, Ruth opened her eyes and she was looking into the faces of several concerned hikers. They had called for a rescue helicopter. She thought she could get up, but the snow around her was covered with blood. She had a deep gash in her head, and her neck hurt badly. And every time she moved, the pain shot through her. Well, after her rescue, she spent five nights in the ICU and had surgery to put screws and a plate into her spine to repair her broken vertebrae. Interestingly, on her neck brace... She wrote the words John 14. Now, one verse in that scripture says, "'Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid.'" She said from her experience, she learned that God is a compassionate Father who was near to the broken. She said to anyone out there who's facing a difficult situation and suffering from physical pain or inner scars, there is real help and comfort found in Jesus. As she lay in the ICU following her surgeries, she played in her mind over and over again the scenes of what happened that day. The most oft repeated scene was what had happened before her hike. She said that morning she got up, she had two sets of shoes setting out her running shoes, and her hiking boots. And she had a choice between a long run and a hike. And for whatever reason that day, she chose the hiking shoes. At first, she lamented her choice to hike. It had led to pain and suffering and disruption in her life. Oh, she thought, I wish I had chosen my running shoes instead. But then another thought followed. No, if I had chosen my running shoes, I would not have seen God's love for me. In other words, knowing what she knows now and having learned what she has learned about God's love for her, would she choose hiking shoes again and go through the fall in order to gain what she has learned? Yes. That's the way it is with adventure in life. Sometimes the tough things God gives us are meant to inspire us, to allow us to become something more than we've been. And I suspect many of you listening to this podcast are in the midst of a challenge or setback or a struggle. It doesn't matter the cause. Perhaps your poor decisions were the cause. Perhaps an illness. Perhaps circumstances beyond your control. doesn't matter. I believe in this situation, you can be inspirable, inflamed, inspired to become better than you've been. And it just may be that God needed to send you this particular challenge as a way to get your attention to what really matters. So, put on your hiking shoes, try the adventure, step up to the challenge of something new, because in the challenge, you could learn something that will bless your life for years to come. Next, whatever you and I are going through, we can be inspired more easily when we actively read, listen, and seek to learn. To be inspired, you need fuel for the inspiration. Ruth, let scripture inspire her. My mom let a teacher inspire her. But both were actively reading and listening. And if you aren't doing either, it's pretty tough to be inspired. As Dr. Seuss said, the more that you read, the more things you'll know. And the more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Or my favorite, you can't buy happiness, but you can buy books and I'll add podcasts. And that's the same kind of thing. Because reading and listening is one of the most marvelous adventures that anyone can have each day. Next, to be inspirable, be open to impressions that come to your mind. You know, when my son Jared was younger, I thought about how to teach him as a boy to be a man of faith. And one of the decisions I made was to pray with him each night. So when he was about six years old, we had a neighbor from Uruguay who was an IT programmer and had lost his job. So my son and I helped him, Horatio was his name, in a number of ways. We took food, mowed his lawn, and did other things to help. One night, after helping out at the neighbors, we were saying our prayers. Jared prayed that our neighbor could get a job. Now, we had prayed this prayer several times before, but for whatever reason, during that prayer that night, as my son talked, I had an impression. Perhaps it was because this six-year-old was full of faith that God could give our neighbor a job, and I wanted to see his faith fulfilled. So there we were praying, and I had this impression. I hadn't done anything to help Horatio get a job. I knew recruiters, but I hadn't made any phone calls, and I should help him in his job search. So the next day, inspired by my son's prayer, I called two recruiters that I knew. And one got back to me the same day. He had a job search going on with Citibank, and they were looking for an IT manager in Uruguay. Sure enough, Horatio interviewed and got the job. I didn't know this, but they had wanted to go back home, but needed a wage like you would make in the U.S. to do that. So he ended up making 50% more, and they could move to be closer to family. He is now a Citibank executive. Now, I've learned in life that following impressions is a skill that you have to learn, like playing the piano. And the more you watch and listen and follow impressions, the more you come to recognize the right impressions from the wrong, and the more right impressions then come your way. And the funny thing is about impressions, you usually don't know if it is a right impression until after you have followed the impression. And usually, following that impression takes some work and sacrifice. But this way of living, of following a hunch now and then, is really living by faith, and it makes life worth living. So, what impressions do you follow? Now, I don't know how it works for you, but here is the pattern that I generally follow. I listen to podcasts or read scripture or books, and I may have something on my mind that is challenging me or my team, and this causes me to listen and read with a purpose. It's like I have a problem and I'm seeking a solution. It's like I'm walking around in my listening and reading with a question, seeking an answer. And when I read or listen in this way, I'm more inspirable. It's as if I'm seeking an answer from God or life, and this way of seeking tends to give me needed impressions. Here's my point. When you live seeking answers, when you follow impressions, When you are willing to act on those impressions, you find more from life, you succeed more, and you get more from your effort. So, as we end today, remember inflation can be a good thing in your personal life because inflation means you're lit up from the inside. You are inspirable. Do the things that help you live inspired, like focus on what matters most, put on your hiking shoes, and take on the next adventure. Read and listen with the intent to be inspired and act. Follow the impressions that come your way and watch. You will open your eyes to living life in a more inspirable way. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And be sure to join us next week for another podcast as we seek to open our eyes to who and what we can become.